0: It's time for another episode of Corner of the Galaxy from the Box. The show that gets you behind the scenes of the LA Galaxy and into the minds of soccer reporters and MLS experts. Your hosts for the day are Corner of the Galaxy's Josh Gessman and LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Let's start the show. Hello everybody, welcome to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box
1: on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Coming to you from COG Studios on Monday, May 13th as the LA Galaxy lose 2-0 to, to New York City on an early Saturday game. Uh, we're certainly going to talk about that game, some of the controversies surrounding it, a different uh, formation for Guillermo Barra Scalotto, no Jonathan Dos Santos, lots of things happening in that New York City FC game that we need to discuss. And of course, we're going to get you ready, or at least uh, start shifting the conversation towards Sunday, when the LA Galaxy actually have a whole week off Uh, or at least a whole week between games, where they'll play Sunday, May 19th, against the Colorado Rapids at Dignity Health Sports Park. Their last game of May played at home, and then two more on the road. Still talking about that schedule and how that's going to go. Standing, some LA Galaxy alumni news as well. Lots of stuff going on and a very busy show to help us talk about all of it. He's back from uh, the Bay Area as he was covering the U.S. women's national team. Uh, Welcome back to the show, Mr. Kevin Baxter himself. Kevin, how's it going, buddy? All right. How are you? I'm I'm hanging in there. You travel safe. Everything good?
2: Yeah, I'm a little worried about the women's national team, though. They got two more weeks until they leave for Europe. They have two more games to play in that span. They won in St. Louis, uh, and then they go to play Mexico in Harrison, New Jersey, before they head over to Europe for the World Cup. The game they played against number 49 South Africa was not uh, was not a good game. I mean, I think it raised a lot of questions and. Um, the, the team was, there wasn't a whole lot of chemistry earlier in that game, and then afterwards, Carly Lloyd was talking to us and said, "You know, people complained about uh, how the U.S. looked the, in group stage in the group stage of the 2015 World Cup, and talked about how you know they were they were going to be eliminated in the knockout round. They just didn't look good. And, and what happened? They went seven and zero in the World Cup. Carly Lloyd scored a hat trick in the first 16 minutes of the final. And the U.S. won. So Carly Lloyd was, give us some time to work this out. It's not time to push the panic button yet.'" But you know when you have the number one team going against the number forty nine team and it's one to nothing at the seventy fifth minute, not a good performance.
1: Yeah, I was going to say uh, it's the same with the LA Galaxy. Don't peak too soon, Kevin. You don't want them peaking now. You don't want them playing playing well now. They gotta they gotta grow into it a little bit in that tournament. But yeah, I mean. You know, that's sort of always the thing. Well, I'm, I'm glad you had a good trip. I'm glad that uh, that you're back here. Uh, the LA Galaxy did not have a good road trip and now have lost three consecutive games to start May off. Um, it, it hasn't... I don't know if it's been unexpected. I think you and I, uh, you know, Larry, uh, Eric, everybody sort of hinted at how difficult this schedule was going to be. And then you throw in the fact that the LA Galaxy are missing two designated players right now. Uh, it's. I guess it's not surprising, and I know I got a lot of flack, Kevin. I can't believe... I. I I'm sure you don't believe it, but... I got a lot of flack for saying that the Galaxy would lose to New York City on Thursday. Um, and I said it really comes down to, to two things for me. Uh, Jonathan Dos Santos and the fatigue that I had been seeing build with the LA Galaxy It started in the New York Red Bulls game. Uh, certainly was evident there in the Columbus game. And with only two days rest, I didn't expect it to get all that much better uh, whenever they played against New York City. And you could see the midfield and, and sort of the, the forwards and, and all sorts of fun things there that, that just were out of
2: it. Um, well, so. you know, people look at New York City's record and say, well, this team's not very good. How come the Galaxy couldn't beat them? And you know what? They haven't lost a game since uh, March 29th. They've only lost once this season. Yeah. They have a ton of draws, and yep. that's why their point total isn't so high. But they're unbeaten in their last seven, and uh, they've won their last two, including the Galaxy game. So, uh, you know, I, th- I, I think that was kind of a, a pretty good call on your part that New York City really has been playing a lot better than people give them credit for
1: yeah, I mean, they're one of the better teams the Galaxy have played, actually. Probably in the, let's see, uh, Philadelphia, the, Philadelphia and Houston are the top two teams the Galaxy have played in terms of points per game. Uh, and then it would be New York City right now. And like you said, New York City hasn't lost. We talked about it on Thursday with uh, with Larry. Um, they hadn't lost, but they, uh, but they hadn't won a whole bunch. And they had a better record on the road than they do at home. Um, so it's all sorts of things that, that sort of manifest itself. I, I think if you're New York City and you look at this game, you're like, wow, look at all the space we have to run on this field. Look how look how much better New York City seems like it's one of those teams that will be better on the road just because their home field is such a postage stamp that it's it's just a stupid place to play a soccer game. Uh, well,
2: not only that, but look at you've seen you know you've seen the video of turf coming up just about every game. Huge huge swaths of turf come up. Um, so, yeah, Yankee Stadium is a horrible place to play soccer.
1: Yeah, it, I, the, I don't know that uh, the Dignity Hill Sports Park was much better. The field was better, uh, but the Galaxy certainly didn't put up a fight whenever it came to it. A, a 2 nothing loss on this. I thought the interesting sort of takeaways on this, we talked about no Jonathan Dos Santos and, and still um, dealing with that hamstring injury, and he came in early, Guillermo said... Uh, that he came in very early on game day on Saturday. Remember, it was already a 1pm kickoff time, which is stupid because the Galaxy should have played much later than that after traveling all that, but uh, it was nationally televised, which is why it was 1pm, but apparently Jonathan Dos Santos came in really early in the morning, uh, went through the physios, went through everybody, they tried to get him ready, and then he sort of did a fitness test and he said, you know, I still feel some pain and Guillermo basically told him, hey, it's it's not worth it this early in the season. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll have you back on Sunday versus Colorado. That'll give you a whole Whole bunch of time to rest and so we're not going to play so Jonathan was did try to play in this game um but ultimately it was decided I think between the coaching staff and him Kevin that they just he they didn't want to risk and I think that's a smart move
2: well I, I'm not sure I buy that whole story I mean Jonathan was at training the day before in in shower sandals um uh just kind of watching training didn't participate in it at, at all so you know he comes out of the game Wednesday at halftime doesn't do anything Thursday doesn't do anything Friday um Again, there's a lot of games left in the season. I, I think Guillermo had decided before Saturday morning that it was unlikely for Jonathan to play. Now, did he come in and did he try to play? Okay, I'll buy that. But I think Guillermo, you know, for all this talk about game day decision, I think he had pretty much made up his mind ahead of time. And, you know, figure into that argument the fact that they went with a totally different formation. Now, are we to believe that Guillermo just drew that on a on a napkin and you know at 11 o'clock on Saturday morning? No, I think he knew uh you know, Jonathan may have came in and, and gone through the fitness test and stuff, but but for Guillermo to to make that you know uh a drastic change to his formation and his lineup. I think he knew that. I think they worked on that in training. I think he knew that before Saturday morning. I,
1: I think that's funny you said worked on it in training. They did a walkthrough on Friday. That was all they were really, I mean, they had a regen session on Thursday. They did a walkthrough on Friday. I mean, training at any point during this whole last week has, was non-existent for this team, um, which is what happens whenever you stack these games sort of side to side. Uh, I thought it was really interesting talking to Guillermo. So you're, you're right. The formation is different. He basically goes with a 5-3-2. Um, so this satisfies all the people. People who say that the Galaxy should play a five-man backline or a three-man backline, because certainly with Arajo on the right and uh, Julian Arajo gets the start again, and with Triori, uh, Didi Triori on the left, uh, you got two guys who are capable of playing midfield and defense, and that's sort of where they went with this. So whether it's a three-man backline with Steris, Gonzalez, and Polenta, and by the way, people Gonzalez gets his very first start for the LA Galaxy, or whether it's a five-man backline with Arajo and Triori uh, sort of uh, launched there, you got that. So you got a five-man three-man backline you satisfied all the people who said they should try that and then you also got the people who said you know that Zlatan Ibrahimovic has to have a forward up top with him it's mandatory and that's what it is and you got in tune up up there with him and that lasted uh, no time at all Um, so between the two the five-man backline which by the way I am of the opinion after watching this game and watching the goals that were given up and sort of seeing how everything went down, I thought the five-man back line actually played pretty well. I thought the best player was People Gonzalez playing in center. I thought Starris had one of his poor games, but not a bad game. Polenta played okay as well. Uh, Triore was probably the big letdown. Araujo didn't play great either. Um, but between that, uh, you had a five-man back line that lasted for Kevin 45 minutes uh, when Guillermo barra switched out of it. And uh, it was interesting. I talked to him after the game and asked him, well, what about the five-man back line did you like? Did they do things that that, that were good for you? And his response was, I like a four-man back line. So uh, he didn't like the five-man back line, but he said, obviously, with the injuries, that that's how they were sort of looking at it. And you can understand sort of the backstop mentality they were trying to put whenever you knew that you were going to have the, the uh, Carrasco playing. Um, at a position that Jonathan Dos Santos normally does. So um, lots of just little interesting tweaks to this and lots of different fluidity that allowed, you know, the Galaxy to get into the attack. But in my mind, when you look at this five-man back line and without any wide players and legit Cross and Corona sort of sitting in the center there, uh, you really put a ton of pressure on Araujo and Triori to create chances for Ibrahimović and Antuna. And I thought that was probably a little more than they could they could they could bite off.
2: Well, there's a lot to chew on there. First of all, I think with Arajo and Traore, you're going to see that with young players. They're going to be wildly inconsistent. They're going to have great games followed by horrible games, and it's just it's part of the learning curve. The opposing team will throw something different at them. They won't quite know how to react to it because they don't have that experience. They haven't seen it before. It's not really their fault. It doesn't mean they're bad players or they've regressed overnight. It just means they're seeing something that they're not a- accustomed to, and they don't know how to how to adjust to it. So you're, you're going to see that those guys are going to have, have uh, you know, swings in their performance all season. Um, the five man backline, when I saw that, my first thought was kind of going back, uh, the team's regressing to last year. Remember when Ziggy Schmidt would, would change formations somewhat frequently. And it worked when he went to the three center backs for a while. And the five man backline, it worked for a while, but uh, this is a different team. And the way Guillermo plays, he plays a different way. Um, you know, he likes to attack, he likes to, uh, to press the galaxy, you know, uh, New York City had 59% possession. Yeah. That's not the galaxy team that we've seen under Guillermo this season. That's just too much. They just seeded too much possession, and they and they tried to sit back, and that's not the way to play. I I personally like Zlatan up front alone. Yes. So I would go back to that. But another thing I think we've seen probably the uh, uh, I think Daniel Sturis now goes to the bench. I think uh, Giancarlo. Gonzalez now is your starting center back with Polenta. That's what Guillermo wanted all along. And I think this game sort of cemented that as you said, Gonzalez was 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 good. Steris not horrible. He's played great all season. But Gonzalez was clearly better in this game, and I think that gives Guillermo the, the feel to say, okay, he's won this spot at least this week, and we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah, I still don't know what he's, you know, exactly what Guillermo really wants. Um, I, I know he wants, a, uh, really, he wants sort of to have Zlatan up by himself, which is what I agree is is the best position there. Um, I think that, you know, he likes having a four-man back line, so you like that. Um, really, the reason that they went to this formation is is more uh, a, a, an attempt, I think, to protect Carrasco. You knew who the—listen— Nobody should be surprised that Servando Carrasco played the way that he did because he's just, I mean, I don't want to be mean to this guy. I think that he plays to his ability. I think that what you're seeing from Carrasco is the best that he can give. Um, and that's just the, the 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 problem with having a guy who's really the third string maybe even, yeah, I mean, third string you know, defensive midfielder. If Carrasco's not playing there and Perry Kitchen is healthy, Perry Kitchen is playing in that position, and I think he, he can do a better job than Carrasco. Kitchen's a different player than Carrasco, but I think Kitchen does. And obviously, Kitchen doesn't play if Jonathan Dos Santos is playing, and Jonathan Dos Santos is the best player on the LA Galaxy, and all the possession that you were talking about, Kevin, wasn't, I don't think, a result of this particular formation. I think it's a result of Jonathan Dos Santos not being on the field, and we saw it as soon as he left at halftime, you know, in that New York Red Bull game uh, the Galaxy immediately flipped possession and, and and gave that to the New York Red Bulls it was the same against Columbus Columbus had more possession and so you've seen that with Jonathan Dos Santos not on the field the Galaxy cannot hold that possession and as Zlatan said you're talking about Do- Jonathan Dos Santos who has been the engine of for this LA Galaxy offense and for the team itself. He wants the ball to go through him. So trying to play through Carrasco, trying to play more through LeJet and Corona is not the way that these guys play. Um, And and so you're really forcing a bunch of things and you forced it with Antuna trying to be up and rotate around Ibrahimović as well. The Galaxy were stagnant in the first half. That first half was a bad first half. Um, Despite the fact that you had a five-man back line, the Galaxy were under pressure. They gave up two goals. Now, the first goal they gave up was actually a really great Pass that split Polenta and Gonzalez, in my opinion. Um, and I thought David Bingham ma- did a great job making a save. Uh, could he have pushed it wider? I don't know because, quite honestly, Tennerholm was already in, um, so it was a good save to be able to make that. Uh, Dan Stares didn't didn't follow uh, Hebers as he was coming through, and that's that's what led to that first goal. The second goal, um, you know, is is all sorts of fun with handballs and and all that stuff. But if you look at this against New York City. FC, who I think, Kevin, you and I both agree is a good team. The Galaxy really gave up one goal and gave up a penalty kick as well whenever you look at it. So if you're looking at the defense and the five-man back line slash you know, when all of the goals were scored as what was against the five-man back line, it didn't do a horrible job. I actually liked it. If the Galaxy could have generated some offense in return for that, um, I think that they would have been in a better position to sort of you know counter what New York City was trying to do. But on the whole, I didn't think the defense played poorly. I, again, it's just the midfield, and it has been the midfield ever since Jonathan Dos Santos has gone away.
2: Yeah, and I think when you look at, um, well, I'm trying to look at the Columbus game when Jonathan went out. Uh, it, it was a one and nothing game when, when Jonathan went out of that game. They gave up two goals there and then two goals to New York. So people talking about, you know, the galaxy have given up eight goals in their last three games. That's the same number of goals they gave up in their first nine. Yeah, that's true, but they've given up, uh, four of those goals for the half of the eight goals after Jonathan went out so you know he clearly is a key to the way they play offensively and defensively winning balls back in the midfield uh, a sort of quarterbacking the the offense so when you look at the performance of the defense and and how important is Jonathan Dos Santos they change formations because we're missing one guy yeah and I agree with you on Carrasco you know Servando Carrasco is what he is He's, and and uh, for good and bad, and what he isn't is Jonathan Dos Santos. Very few people are. Yeah. So to put him in there and say, hey, can you uh, can you fill this role? It's probably a little bit unfair to expect him to do that.
1: Well, I think the the again another interesting sort of side note to this is you go into the second half and Guillermo immediately switches out of the four uh, the five man back line to a four man back line. Subs off D D D uh brings in Emmanuel Boateng. Now, you know, for all the people saying that the Galaxy have lapped, lacked depth um this lineup with Gonzalez in there and the ability to sort of sit both Pontius and Boatang allowed them to have the deepest sort of offensive bench that they've had in a very long time Kevin being able to bring on bring on Boatang and Pontius um, in the second half is something that they have not done and will probably get to do whenever Fabio Alvarez uh, joins the team which is expected this week in terms of his paperwork and, and his visa issue that's expected to happen this week so you will see that I think the Galaxy's bench does get deeper on the offensive side a little bit more and listen nothing came of it except that Chris Pontius almost came in and put a header in from like the, the second he came on um, for in, in the game and then he also hit the post so I mean having Pontius come off the bench is probably better than having Pontius start um but at the same time if you're missing somebody like uh Roman Alessandrini and you're trying to create some offense you have to put Pontius on the field and I think that's really what was missing in this you know 5-3-2 was that creativity and and people saying the Galaxy have lacked offensive creativity are 100% correct um with with uh with Roman Alessandrini out with Sebastian Legette not creating much with Joe Corona not creating much um, you know, really it's going to be up to, and I believe it's Fabio Alvarez to come in and, and create some of these w- chances and sort of unlock things. Um, and that's what you were missing from this LA Galaxy team. They were dangerous on set pieces. They had the advantage on set pieces. They technically outshot New York City, but only one shot on goal with two posts or two crossbars, you should say, with slapped on Ibrahimović and Chris Panias, both uh, both knocking the crossbar in the same play. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a whole bunch that was sort of, you know, different whenever you go into the second half and the galaxy were more dangerous but again you take away two designated players uh, you take away a midfielder and Perry Kitchen and you know Kevin I know we wanted to talk about it but the depth on the midfield has been very shallow the, the at the beginning of the season we were all saying the galaxy signed another midfielder why did they sign another midfielder um, and and when you look at it the the injuries that have been hit they just they haven't been able to find replacements for and there's been a bunch of
2: injuries. Well, yeah, I mean, when you talked about the bench being so deep, but when you look at the midfield, you're right. When they added Joe Corona, I mean, where would they be without Joe Corona now? When yeah. he, when they added Joe Corona, it's, you know, he went into the starting lineup, but it seemed to be sort of like you know, an unnecessary addition that the midfield was so deep. But you lose Roman Alessandrini, and remember, the Galaxy have won one of their last five games. They're, they are one uh, one win, one draw, and three losses in the last five games. That skid started when Ramon Alessandrini went out and had knee surgery. He'll be out till September. So as important as Jonathan Dos Santos says, and we agree that he is, I, I don't think that it's just a happenstance that, that they started to play poorly without Ramon Alessandrini. Now uh, you're talking about there's no creativity really from Sebastian Legette, and then you move Antuna up to a forward position. That takes even uh, that some of the creativity that was in the midfield takes it away. Um, yeah, you're right. You're missing two designated players, Roman and Jonathan Dos Santos. Uh, Juninho hasn't been uh, he the player that perhaps they thought they were getting. He was injured in the in the preseason. He was he's coming off an injury uh, previously in his career in Chicago. And he's a little bit older. He's just not been the guy that they thought he's played, uh, I think eight minutes this season. He's not been the guy they thought he was going to be. Servando is what he is and what he is, isn't Jonathan Dos Santos. So that's a little unfair to expect him. I don't know that Boateng has necessarily been uh, as sharp as he can be. So all of a sudden, all this midfield depth, and then you mentioned Perry Kitchen, a guy that can do a lot of different things and, and allows you to make some changes in that midfield, depending on where you play him. Um, you know, you could maybe move Corona up, make him more of an attacker if you had Perry Kitchen in there. So the midfield that was supposed to be so deep, now it's it seems to be paper thin. And the ability, what ability there is uh, in that midfield, um, you know, Guillermo, there's not a lot of versatility. You're right about Alvarez being that versatile player. But right now, the players that they have aren't that versatile. And then you add into that the fact that Ephraim Alvarez is gone with with the Mexican youth team, the U-17 team. Now, Dennis Toklosa knew that, and he talked about it, and he anticipated this, um, and so it's not a surprise. He had planned for it, but still, imagine where they might be if he were there. Yeah. Could he provide some of that creativity?
1: Maybe. I mean, maybe he, he's young, so you, you never really know. And I think, you know, you pointed to Arajo and Traore as well, young guys who are inconsistent. I think that you can lean on Alvarez, but only so much, right? So he was never probably going to be the answer for this whenever you looked at it either. Um you just, you wanted to see more, and, and this lineup didn't get it, even with the shift and bringing Boateng in and then eventually bringing in uh, Pontius. Antuna was upset whenever he came off. I was talking to uh, our good fa- good friend, Mr. John Rojas, and he was saying, you know, Corona got really angry whenever he got taken out of that Columbus game, and he, sl- you know, he would, like, threw things and punch the bench and was really upset. Um, and then whenever Antuna came off, he was angry, and, and John goes, he goes, you know, that's why. Because I, I said, hey, I don't mind that Corona was angry whenever he came off. They're frustrated. They're all frustrated frustrated. Um, And then he said, yeah, but look at what Antuna now does. You have the young guy who's sort of picking up after what, you know, the the veteran has done with Joe Corona. Um, And, you know, I I can see that you can tell the team is frustrated. Um, You can tell lots of things about this team just in the way that they sort of walked off the field. Uh, Mike McGee had an interesting sort of tweet afterwards. Mike McGee, always on the Twitter machine now, uh, doing a good job uh, staying connected with the Galaxy and Galaxy fans, uh, says the Galaxy I know doesn't smile after losses um so a little criticism there of the la galaxy's attitude and and certainly goes along with what zlatan ibrahimovic was talking about um and and having an attitude issue but there were some there were some things we talked about both goals um we talked about the rebound goal we talked about the penalty kick well let's talk more about that penalty kick goal because there was some question about it uh this is certainly an interesting one um so this this play goes on Uh, it was a set piece Um, it was a pass and then there was a pass in behind Uh, by the way it was already past the one minute of stoppage time that the referee Chris Penso had said would be allowed in the first half and so this was in stoppage time of that and it was past that time and so some Galaxy players and coaches mentioned that at least in passing that they shouldn't have played um, you know past that it was there was already time for that Um, so there was a foul given up by the Yellow Galaxy the ball comes in and whenever I quiz the referees afterwards as a Pool reporter in the Los Angeles area. I'm able to ask questions of the referees afterwards, and so I asked them about this play because this play is a technical play that involves uh, VAR. It involves a delayed offside technique, and it involves a handball, and it involves a stoppage of play. And Kevin, as we know, that there are only certain ways that you're able to review things that happen um, in Major League Soccer. There's four ways uh, to to basically trigger a review. All goals are reviewed. Penalty kicks can be reviewed. Um, let's see. Mistaken identity can be reviewed. And... Uh, red cards can be reviewed. Those are the four things that can that can be reviewed from VAR.
2: Yeah, uh, they're called game-changing uh, incidences or plays. Yeah,
1: I- exactly. And so in this particular play, there is a offside call that is not called right away. It was a delayed offside, and then there is a handball by Antuna, and it is definitely a handball. So um, what resulted was a penalty kick. But Kevin, you you and I were talking beforehand, and you said that it shouldn't have happened, and or at least you no. were confused why it happened.
2: Yeah, I'll set you up for this because I'm going to be Joe Sixpack, the guy that looks at this and sees the obvious questions. First of all, the idea of stoppage time to stoppage time, uh, stoppage time of the stoppage time. Yes, they were past the one minute, but I don't think a referee is going is going to stop a goal scoring, uh, uh, scoring chance like this. It was a set piece. I think it had to go forward uh, once the Galaxy... Uh, were called for the foul i think i think that had to go forward if if it was open play maybe you know he would have blown the whistle but once you have a set piece like that even when you're past the one minute they're going to allow it to go forward but to 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 your question i understand the delay offside call you want to allow the play to finish but my problem with that is if if the goal had gone into the net if it just been a straight goal if they, then I think they look at the replay or the, or the referee, uh, the assistant referee waves the flag and said, yes, there was an offside. So the offside right. negates the goal. The, the offside negates whatever happened after the offside occurred. So I don't understand how you can say, yes, we this was a delayed offside call, But we're going to allow the handball to be called, even though it technically happened after the player was offside.
1: Yeah, so basically it matters how they look at this and how they review it. Now, we've seen many times, and it happened in the uh, New York Red Bull game on the Daniel Royer goal, where Daniel Royer scored a goal, and then after the ball was in the net, the referee raised the flag, and then it came back and they VAR'd it, and they basically said, oh, it was too close to, to call, and we're going to allow the uh the 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 call on the field to stand. And so it matters what you call on the field and how it happens. Here's here's the order of operations for this. And then I can even read you what Chris Penso responded to my questions with. And he was he was as detailed as any referee has been. So at least uh, thankful for that, even though I think that overall the officiating crew didn't have a great game. We can talk about another thing that happened. But um, whenever you look at this play it's about the order of operations and in this particular case the order of operations is this is that there was a handball in the box and that handball in the box all right was then stopped the game okay that handball in the box stopped the game so there was a penalty kick awarded to the um, to New York City because of the handball in the box on Antuna. and tuna then After the referee pointed to the spot and said that we're stopping this play for the handball and the penalty, he already knew that there was an offside because the referee had been in his ear saying delay, 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 delay. This is the delay offside technique. It's not a rule. It's a technique that they use. And basically it is, there is a really close call. I think he's offside. I'm not going to put my flag up because we want to be able to look at this on VAR and let this play out. It was the Daniel Royer thing. It was the Chris Pontius thing. Um, even whenever he scored, but a little bit different because they actually ruled that one onside. But it was the Daniel Royer play all over, and we've seen it over and over again in Major League Soccer. This is nothing new now. The delay technique works, and it's used because you don't want to... How many times have we did we see whenever they first uh, put VAR in, Kevin, that a referee would raise the flag for offside and then... Uh, It would kill the play and it would be over with. And then you would go back and look on replay and you would see that, oh, wait, actually the person was onside whenever you look at it on replay. And so the idea here is not to kill the play, is to allow it to go, even if the referee thinks that it's possibly offside, but it was really close and we probably want to take a look at it on VAR. So what happens here is a handball is awarded because Antuna has uh, has the handball. Okay, so then the handball now allows them to VAR this. All right, so this is the easy part. They now allows them to VAR it. So because they're going to look at the handball and see if it really was a handball, then because of the possession and the offensive move that was made by New York City started before that, you're able to go back um, and just keep going back and so you went back to be able to see if whether or not it was onside or offside so the offside call the delayed technique that they used went back and if you look at the replay he's clearly onside when the ball is played to him I think it's Tinnerholm uh, or it could have been uh, Ring who got played in and so he's clearly onside so then the penalty kick is allowed to stand alright so it's the order of operations the penalty kick and the handball Allows them to go back and look at the offside. Otherwise, the offside's not reviewable on its own, Kevin, as we know. And so, if you went in the order of the way you saw things, which was the referee probably thought there was an offside, and then would have raised his flag. If this was like without VAR, the flag would have come up, and the and the handball never would have happened. But he would have gotten the offside call incorrect. So that's sort of how it goes. Does that does that make sense, or have I confused everybody? Yeah,
2: it it does make sense, but I just it. it. It does seem like there's a, a, a whole different layer of rules, um, yeah. you know, to, to the way the, these things unfold. Well, I, and I, I do like the delayed uh, uh, offside call, by the way. Allow the play to continue, um, you know, uh, and and coaches are telling players, you know, play until the whistle blows. Yeah. You know, if you think there's an offside, don't stop. The, a lot of defenders do that. Yep. They think there's an offside and they'll give up on the play. And then it's reviewed and find out, no, you know, the guy was on, on side. You just gave up a cheap goal.
1: Yeah, and, and that happens. I'll, I'll tell you this, and I think that it's uh, – Taylor Twelman and I got into a little discussion about this on Twitter for the New York Red Bull game uh, when Pro came out and got that call all wrong. And then they went by and tried to, like, double down on it when their review and still got it wrong um, whenever you look at it. so um, But whenever you, whenever you look at this, it's the fact that there's no information – Um, And there's no information being disseminated to the fans who are watching to the broadcasters to the reporters. Um, If it wasn't my inclination to know this was a controversial call and the order of operations that needed to happen in order for it to happen. Uh, there wouldn't have been a question asked about this because the other poll reporters were not interested in having a poll reporter question asked about this. I was the one who went out and asked about it um, and actually asked three questions and and Chris Pencil gave a detailed paragraph on why that was. And it makes sense. And you can look at that and say, okay, at least I know your understanding of things from your perspective. Even if you disagree with the call, you can understand the look of, of how they sort of got that done. Now, that's not to leave the, the Chris Penso and his crew out of the controversy light because there are two more incidents that came in here and two more controversial incidents. One of them involves Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Sean Johnson. Yeah, yeah
2: so Zlatan loves VAR, doesn't he?
1: He's, he's a big fan of this. Um, but, the, but the first one I want to get to before we get to the, uh, the net grab between Zlatan and Sean Johnson is that Zlatan Ibrahimovic in the second half was absolutely fouled in the box it is clear and obvious even if you go on mls's own site and they had bobby Warshaw, who i think 90 percent of the time gets calls wrong uh he actually looked at this one and said it was clear and obvious only because it is clear and obvious that zlatan ibrahimovic was able to get his body around the new york city defender um, was able to poke the ball away from the new york city defender and the new york city defender absolutely fouls zlatan ibrahimovic in the penalty box uh now as a poll reporter waiting for the referees outside the locker room, I was able to see an interaction between Dominic Kinnear and Gamera Berescalota and the rest of the coaching staff, and they were talking about it as I was walking by, walking by and I was able oh, to...
2: so this sounds like a delayed argument, it, you, or a delayed discussion you're hearing. I think that's neg- negated by the VAR. You're it, not allowed to talk about that, Yeah. Well,
1: well, this was just the coaching staff, so they weren't talking okay. to anybody. So it was just, it wasn't a referee, but yes, you're right. It would have been a delayed, and it would have negated everything. Um, but they were talking after the game in the, in the hallway, and as I was walking by to go basically hang out in front of the referee locker room which is the job of the pool reporter um Dominic Kinnear was talking to Guillermo and basically saying no they said they never even checked it um and so then after I sort of was trying to piece what together what they were talking about it was this play and it was clearly a penalty kick Penso missed it VAR did, looks like it did not issue a review now we don't know that because I wasn't able to ask a question about it because I'd already used up all my questions on the first goal um and so that was that was unfortunately that's how that's how this works you only get 3 questions and I probably could have done a better job all will work on that but um you know, it was it was interesting. So then I asked Zlatan about it afterwards, and this was when Zlatan was like, you need to get rid of VAR. Uh, because he's 100% right. Zlatan wins this ball. He doesn't foul the defender. He does everything he's supposed to, Kevin. And VAR can clearly go to the video and you can look at it and say, oh my, okay, yeah, that's a penalty kick. And well, the Galaxy should have gone. When
2: Zlatan it. says get rid of VAR, you have to explain what he means. He means exactly what you're saying, that they didn't even review it. Yeah. If you're not going to review a play like that um, and prove that Zlatan was right, if you're not going to use VAR in instances like that, why do you have it? Yeah. I, I, I mean, that, no. that's Salatan's argument. If you're
1: going to have He's it, right. use
2: it. If you're not going to use it, then don't have it.
1: He's right. I mean, you know, you look at this, and I will say there were some questionable calls. I mean, some really questionable calls. The LA Galaxy were, were whistled for 19 fouls in this game to 10 fouls for New York City. Uh, three yellow cards to the LA Galaxy to one for New York City. Um, so you look at this and you sit there and say it was a slanted field. Grant, I, I, I will, I will say this granted the LA galaxy, even if they got this penalty kick, were not winning that game. They weren't in a position to win that game. They probably shouldn't have won that game, but it does change things. You never know. Could they have gotten a draw out of it? Yeah, maybe. And does a point look better than zero points after that? Yeah, it, it helps all of that stuff helps. Uh, they miss this, but they probably maybe almost, well, it, it's it's up for interpretation on this. Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Sean Johnson. This was in the 86th or 87th minute. Zlatan Ibrahimovic hits a ball. It goes off the p- crossbar. Chris Pontius comes back with a follow-up and can't keep it down. It was a really tough shot for him to try to keep it down as well on the rebound. And he clips the top of the crossbar as the ball goes out. And then Sean Johnson and Zlatan Ibrahimovic come together inside the six-yard box. Um, I will say this, and maybe it's a slanted view and you could, people can could say this. Sean johnson walks into zlatan ibrahimovic as zlatan ibrahimovic is walking and so the two collide and zlatan's hand is definitely seen um on uh sean johnson's neck Um, neck area, maybe his throat, how it goes. Uh, Sean Johnson falls to the ground. Um, Zlatan falls to the ground. They both point at each other and yellow cards are issued both ways. Uh, but Kevin, I think that you and I would not be surprised at all if Zlatan Ibrahimović was issued a suspension for this, although I'm certainly expecting a fine, a suspension wouldn't be out of line either.
2: No. Well, here's the way I look at it. I mean, you're right. There's some disciplinary committee seems to go back and forth with hands to the face and the, the throat is not the face, but it's kind of generally been looked at as hands to the face area. So, and that's definitely Zlatan was in that zone. So he, that's one thing that the disciplinary committee seems to look at. Sometimes it's suspensions, sometimes it's fines. So Zlatan was definitely in that area. I think I think Johnson was guilty of some play acting. I think he he kind of sold the the whole confrontation, but he was hot. I mean, he went after Zalatan after the game and had to be separated by teammates. So there, there definitely was, uh, it wasn't all uh, a facade. There was definitely some emotion involved in that. But then you kind of have to back up, You know, Zlatan had the incident in Real Salt Lake where he uh, against Real Salt Lake where uh, he baited a defender from Real Salt Lake throughout the game and then went into the locker room afterwards, uh, which uh, he said he went in to apologize. That seems to be there seems to be some debate about that. But that's kind of a cardinal rule. You don't go into the other team's locker room uninvited. So, and and MLS did nothing about that. They didn't suspend him. Uh, he had a, a fine, just a fine, not a suspension or any other penalty for uh, diving in the game in Columbus. Zalatan did. So that's that's kind of two incidents in the last four games, and then this one. Um, I, I think there seems to be some some pressure or or uh, some thought building within the league that that. MLS has to do something that Zlatan's getting away with just a little bit too much, and you, you hear other teams complaining about it. What does he have to do to get a suspension? Um, it, it will be tough for the league to suspend their most marketable and their uh, and their best player. I mean, these games are on TV, and they try to sell soap and get people to watch the games. And when the best players aren't playing, that's difficult uh, a difficult thing to do. It would would MLS bend their rules and allow him to continue playing? I, 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 they seem to say that no, they look at every incident uh, and every player the same, but that's not true at all because we know Nigel De Jong when he was playing with the Galaxy, MLS did not like his physical brand of play, and he got a couple of really, really hard suspensions. I think he still has the club record. It was a three-game suspension that he was given uh, for some physical play. That was uncalled for at the time. If you go back and look at it, it, it was a suspension probably, but not a three-game suspension. So uh, the league does look at, at the players involved and they do act that way. So um I I do think that Atlanta probably deserves a suspension uh, in, in as much for the sort of preponderance of evidence of three incidents in the last four games. I think that should weigh in the decision of the disciplinary committee, but I, I agree with you. I could also see them saying no harm, no foul. Sean Johnson caused that problem. Uh, fines for both of you, and you, you both get to play next week.
1: Yeah, it's it's all up in the air. I mean, you know, listen, I, I would say that in general terms, and, you know, my professional opinion on this is the disciplinary committee is one of the most inept committees in Major League Soccer. Uh, you could never tell what they're going to do. They find Zlatan for diving, they find uh, one of the Columbus players for diving. It's like it was so, neither of those were, they were so. So inconsequential they were useless
2: but remember a couple years ago Romney and Jermaine Jones both got uh suspended
1: Romney Romney is the only one I swear and I don't think it could happen again I really don't think this can happen again but Romney is the only person I know of who has ever Jermaine Jones did not get suspended for simulation the the in in Romney's uh suspension they they credited that there was contact Remember, Romney drew a penalty kick in a game and the Galaxy converted that penalty kick and he was suspended for the next game because he drew a penalty kick in this. But in their suspension, they said that there was contact. Um, And if there's contact, then there's no way that, yes, you can embellish it, but the contact was enough for him to go down. It hit his foot, it hit one of his plant foots. It's like, if you're a defender and you don't go down there, I'm kicking you off the team. Um, So yeah, it's been ridiculous. The, 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 The disciplinary committee has a lot less teeth now because in the case of Romney suspension, right, that would probably go to VAR. And so it would be up to VAR to sort of look at that and say, okay, is there a clear and obvious error here? And there's no way there would have been a clear and obvious error on the Romney suspension, which is hysterical because then the disciplinary committee comes in and suspends him. But VAR wasn't in use then Um, with this. I think it is. You can certainly see that there is a hand. You don't know how much force there is. um, And they've really backed off after the disciplinary committee uh, overturned. And it wasn't the disciplinary committee. It was the independent review panel, uh, which is different than the disciplinary committee because of course MLS, Uh, but the independent review panel uh, negated Christian Roldan's red card. Um, that he got, uh, I think, playing against LAFC, and it was the right call. Um, but the but VAR got it wrong, and the disco got it wrong. Um, and did some things on that as well and then it took the independent re- review panel to come in and say you guys are all crazy um to sort of shut that down so it'll be interesting to see there's no independent review panel on this it will be the disciplinary committee and what they do i wouldn't be surprised again if Zlatan ibrahimovic is suspended and 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 i'm also not surprised if he's not and you can't be surprised by anything the disciplinary committee does
2: yeah i i agree with you i'm surprised i'm not surprised if he's suspended and not surprised if he's not one thing going forward though is is you know people are now talking about Zlatan the trash talking and all the extracurricular activity so let's talk about that for a minute this is not new Zlatan did it his remember his debut came against LAFC when he scored the two magnificent goals in his first game he came on and you know played 19 minutes it was less than ten minutes into that first appearance before he went after Carlos Vela, the captain yes. of the opposing team. Yes. In nine, ten minutes into his first MLS game, and was all over Carlos Vela, trash talking.
1: In glorious, time, in glorious, glorious fashion for everybody on national television to see. I believe, and and, and I, I, think everybody knows this, but he questioned his manhood by by measuring with fingers. If I think that's the best way I can sort of say that PG-wise. But yes, continue.
2: Um, so this is nothing new, but uh, but at the time it was, oh, isn't Zlatan cute? Look at that. He's getting into the game. He's really emotional. He's fired up. Now all of a sudden he's doing the same thing, and now he's a public enemy number one. Right. Um, he's been doing this all along, and he says, look, I need this to fire me up. This is how I get into the game. I'm sure he did it when he played for PSG and Man United. I'm sure this is not something he invented when he came to MLS, although he might do it to a different degree. I think he probably does have to be a little bit more motivated Playing against Real Salt Lake than he had to be playing against Arsenal. I mean, I'll give him that. So maybe he does have to fire himself up a little bit. But you you kind of, first of all, the rest of the league is getting uh, wise to this. And so you wonder what the reaction from opponents is going to be. Maybe they come out, maybe it hurts the Galaxy because they come out a little bit more fired up. Maybe it helps the Galaxy because Zlatan is so much into their head. This definitely happened against Real Salt Lake. Remember, uh, the the defender that Zlatan was was uh, trash talking with was the guy he scored the winning goal over. So yeah. and and he admitted afterwards that Delatan had gotten into his head. So you know it wor- maybe works to the Galaxy's advantage sometimes. Maybe works to the disadvantage because it fires opposing teams up too when they hear that stuff. Uh, there was a picture for the Texas Rangers. I'm going to tell another baseball story. There was a picture for the Texas Rangers a few years ago Vicente Padilla that used to, he used to hit. Uh, opposing players on occasion and would throw inside a lot. Finally, it was his teammates that came to him and said, stop doing that because th- the other team was throwing at us now. Right. And so you wonder if, if this whole thing with Zlatan is going to backfire or if it's going to help the Galaxy.
1: Well, I, I certainly think that if you're another team in Major League Soccer and there's no other way to really shut down Zlatan Ibrahimovic, although he hasn't scored uh, for in the last two games. We're going to talk about his streaks here in a second. Um, but if you, if there's no other way to shut him down, I mean, you complaining about it and trying to force the league to, to quote unquote, do something about it is sort of the Nigel De effect. Um, you can force the league into doing stuff if enough people complain that oh, he's a bad player, blah, blah, blah. listen. Um, again, I, I'm with you, Kevin. He's done this before. This is nothing new. Um, it's it's interesting though. He came in afterwards and basically said that the galaxy have an attitude problem that they need to, you know, come out with, you know, this a, a different attitude, and that's sort of been the issue. I think he all he did it very well. He he said what he needed to say and he didn't throw anybody under the bus, but he was like, Listen, you know, we need to come out with a different mentality in these games. And so he was talking about it. Larry Morgan wrote an article about this, and I have to say it is split with LA Galaxy fans in terms of there are people who are like, Zlatan needs is the one who needs the attitude adjustment not the not the rest of the galaxy he needs to be a team player and then there are people who are like Zlatan's just telling the truth you need to feed the big man you need to do stuff you need to you you need to look like you want to win and then, so it really is splitting the fan base more than i thought it would um I'll tell you you this, I I don't think that it hurts the locker room at all. I think that Zlatan over the last couple of games has been a much more mellow Zlatan, which maybe isn't a good thing um, whenever you look at what the Galaxy have done. But he's not yelling at guys as much. Um, He's encouraging. He's trying to be, you know, I think a little bit better. And, And I was talking with John Rojas. We both noticed it, both made comments about it. Um, during the game is that he seems like, you know, a little bit softer Zlatan. Maybe that's not the way it needs to go. But right now, Kevin, uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic having his second longest goalless uh, drought with the LA Galaxy, uh, and that's just two games, which is the good news for the LA Galaxy. Um, it's well, o- it's only ever been two games except for uh, very early in his uh, appearance with the LA Galaxy back on 421 and 521. There were five games where he didn't score a goal, but uh, he hasn't scored a goal in two consecutive games twice uh or one other time before this time so uh, well
2: yeah think about what you just said you know mellow z uh it, you know he's mellowed out he's a nice guy now he's not throwing teammates into <laughs> the bus he's not he's not gesturing madly for the ball every time down and what happens he goes two games without a goal so what do you what do you want do you want you know there's a to, to come out fired up demand the ball and score a bunch of goals or do you want him to be nice and 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 you know and and play with others nicely and share the sandbox. And then the team loses, you know, what, what do you want? There's sometimes there's a price to pay for victory and maybe Zlatan needs to be kind of a, you know, the dirty guy and, and fire things up. And that's how it works. The one thing about the trash talking, I will say though, is if opponents try to come back at Zlatan, that is really a a recipe for disaster because there is no way that you can get in Zlatan's head. No. Anything you say to challenge him is just going to make him that much better.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's fun to watch. Uh, I By the way, I did a little research. I know I was sharing this with you, Kevin. Um, mm-hmm. Looking at Zlatan Ibrahimovic, and when he doesn't score goals, uh, the LA Galaxy are 1-9-5 in games that Zlatan plays um, but does not score a goal. That's 15 games, 1-9-5 <laughs> um, in those games. So nine losses, basically, out of those 15 games. When Zlatan doesn't score a goal, the five draws okay. The one win was against, uh, I believe, Montreal. Um, and that was whenever Zlatan got a red card in the Montreal game, and then the Galaxy came back and actually uh, actually played and, and, and won that game. Um, so it, it, an interesting little tidbit there. But uh, it goes to what I've been saying, and everybody's probably sick of me saying it, is that, you know, in my mind, if you if you look at what has happened in the last couple of games, is that the Galaxy have not gotten the ball to Zlatan effectively. Uh, they've not used him effectively. He hasn't had the touches that you'd expect him to have. So all of those things, I, I think it's less of teams figuring, him out because you can put three guys on Zlatan Ibrahimovic if the service is good Zlatan can score goals uh, I think the service hasn't been good I think that whenever you relied on guys like Araujo and Traore younger guys to come in and beat sort of those offensive uh, sparks that it didn't help I don't think that Ima Boateng did a great job when he came on uh, I thought Chris Pontius was okay uh, coming on in in substitute roles so all of these things sort of have an effect If if it's me if it's just me looking at the stats that I that I just told you, one nine and five when Zlatan doesn't score, uh, you find a way to get Zlatan to score goals because the Galaxy tend to win
2: whenever that happens. Well, well look at the, let, let's play. Let's pretend you're an opposing coach. You yes. look at this Galaxy team now. Alessandrini is out. He hasn't scored a ton of goals this year, but he's dangerous. You never know when he's going to break out. Right. Roman Alessandrini is out in this particular game. Jonathan Dos Santos is out. Laget really has not been dangerous. He's been asked to do other things, but not been dangerous. And Tuna, a little bit. But my point is, you look at this Galaxy team. And I think what you do is you put everybody on, you know, all 11 players, if you need to, you put them on Zlatan because there's nobody else there that yeah. probably is going to beat you, especially with Jonathan out. You know, Jonathan makes things happen. He's not going to score, but he's creative and he, he you know, brings other people into the play. But when you look at this team and then, you know, Traore and Araujo and the outside, there is nobody that you need to really worry about, except Zalatan, And that makes it really easy for opposing coaches. And we're talking about the five-game streak now where they've won one of five since Allison Greening went out. I don't think that's coincidence.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, I agree. I no, you 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 hit it, you hit it on the head. I mean, there's there's two things. I'm gonna of course gonna harp on the fact that Jonathan dos Santos is not there, and that's that's a certainly a contributing factor factor in your argument as well. Uh, in fact, my big takeaways from this game is no Jonathan, no party. Um, the Galaxy retired, and that anytime you miss two designated two players, your team is going to suffer. That is the LA Galaxy right now. They do not have two designated players. They do not have Roman Alessandrini. They do not have uh, Jonathan dos Santos. As much as Roman Alessandrini was being criticized at the beginning of the season. Kevin and saying that he wasn't scoring goals and that he wasn't doing things and there were certainly people who were talking about uh, you know that maybe this is his last year this was before he even got injured this is his last year and that he wouldn't be asked back because he just can't play in in this system and blah 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 all that other stuff is that he was still a threat and him being on the field, cutting in from that inside, at least force people to have to cover him. If you look at the movement now, uh, Leggett is a strictly sideways guy. He's not a forward guy. Uh, Carrasco is a bit of the same and has to end up doing a lot, some of the box-to-box work to help Jonathan Dos Santos. Jonathan Dos Santos is a box-to-box. He's not necessarily a guy who's going to get forward, and by the way, as soon as he figures out when to make that late run, the LA Galaxy are going to score so many heap loads of, of, of goals, it's ridiculous. Between Leggett, Corona, and Jonathan Dos Santos, the late run coming into the the top of the box is there and it's open all the time as everybody goes to collapse on Antuna and Ibrahimović. But whenever you look at this of what they're trying to do, you don't have that creativity there. And I think that what you're hoping is that a technical player like Fabio Alvarez can come in and be that technical guy to open up doors. I'm not saying he's a goal scorer, and I don't necessarily think you need a goal scorer. Roman Alessandrini wasn't scoring goals this year, but he's a threat to score, or he's a threat to make that final pass, or he's a threat to give the assist. And if that's the case, then I think the Galaxy get a whole bunch of creativity. And then if you hold your breath until September and Roman Alessandrini actually does come back, now, now I think the Galaxy are once again cooking with fire. It's a long way, and you can't certainly wait for Ramon and expect Ramon to be available for you but if that ends up working out the way it is it's like the LA Galaxy get a transfer you know in at the last minute and are, all of a sudden have a designated player back it's a long way to to go for all this but in my mind the Galaxy do lack creativity and you're hoping that Fabio Alvarez I think if you're if you're Guillermo Vero if you're uh, Dennis Declosa, um that you're hoping that you know uh, that Alvarez can give you sort of that creativity.
2: Well, we just played opposing coach. Now we'll play Galaxy coach for a minute. Yeah, uh, Fabio would be the obvious answer to that. But I disagree a little bit with Legette, uh, about Legette. I think he can play that cutter role. I think he played it when he started with the national team under Bruce. And, you know, he he scored a goal with the U.S. national team right. this winter, too. So he can score. You know, it, maybe what you the best thing you do is you put Fabio in that Roman Alessandrini role and, and hope that he thrives in that position. By the way, even if Alessandrini comes back in September with a condensed MLS schedule He's only going to have a couple of regular season games. He's certainly not going to uh, have a huge impact on whether or not the Galaxy makes the playoffs. Now, he might help them in the postseason, but he's not going to get them there. You know, I, I'm kind of a believer in you, you set your, your, your style and your formation and your philosophy of how you play. I mean, look at Barcelona. Yes, I know Messi's been there most of the time, but they were playing that style before he came and they will they will play it afterward. I, I, did, I, As you know, I was in Barcelona in February and spent a lot of time talking to people with the team and they talk about how the style of play is paramount. They will not get a coach, they will not bring a player in uh, unless they those people adapt to that style of play. And I'm not saying the Galaxy is Barcelona by any stretch, but the the idea of changing formations and all that because you're missing one or two players... I'm not so sure if that's the best way to go, and, and I'm not Guillermo barros That's why I'm doing this podcast and not coaching the Galaxy. Having said that, um, if you are missing Roman Alessandrini, maybe you move Sebastian Leggett out to that rather than, uh, than trying to, yep. to redo the whole team and the whole formation. Maybe you, you put Leggett out there in the Alessandrini position or, in, in this case, Fabio Alvarez and say, you know, we're going to play the same way and you're going to be dangerous as he was as opposed to changing the formation because you're missing a guy.
1: Well, I, I think there's there's two interesting things I'll, 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 I'll say about this and and the interest the really interesting one is what Guillermo Barros said. I'll save that for a second so remind me if I go off on this first tangent and forget. So I need to talk about what Guillermo said about that particular situation. Um, but the second one really is you talk about subs and, and what happens and I think if you're looking at somebody like Barcelona and again, we're not really comparing the Galaxy to it but one of the reasons that Barcelona is able to do this stuff is that whenever you look at the subs and who they're able to bring on, there are guys who can play up to the level of the subs that went off. Yeah, they're not exactly, you know, maybe not the the top level, best in the world players. I mean, there's no replacement for, for, for Lionel Messi, but they have guys who are able to play whenever Messi's not there. They're able to do things. I think if you're looking at Major League Soccer, you go to subs, Kevin, and there's always a drop-off. There is no MLS team that I know of that brings in subs and all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, that's that, you know, for the most part, that guy's just as good um there's a reason that you have starters and there's a reason for subs and in most cases in major league soccer the guys who they have as subs are guys who they're like yeah these guys could start if we needed them to but we don't need them to so they're probably going to be used off the bench because they're not our first team sort of guys in in different leagues you have you have players who play the sub role. They are a sub. That is their job, and that's what they're supposed
0: to do.
2: Yeah, I mean, look at Man City brings like Kevin De Bruyne and, and uh, Gabriel Jesus off the bench. I mean, there's not a lot of MLS teams that have guys like that uh, waiting for their, their time to play.
1: Alright, so now going to Guillermo and what Guillermo said about your specific thing, talking about Sebastian Legette and his positioning, and I am a, of the assumption that if you want to do and keep things the same as the possession, our same formation, and that's what you said, and I agree, you want to play, and I think Guillermo wants to play the same formation. I don't think he wanted to change this formation. I think the guys he had available and what he was trying to do, he he was sort of forced into it. And that's what he said, you know, it, it was a way to sort of cope with the injuries that they had and and the positions that they were putting people in. So he he made that that deal and sort of said, okay, it didn't work. And then at halftime, he switches to a four man back, but he talked about Sebastian Lejet, And so they asked, Hey, would, is Lejet going to play on the wing? And Guillermo says, I like him better in the center for me. He's, he's a player that does better in the center who distributes and stuff like that. So no, I don't see him playing on the wing, which if is the case means that Sebastian Lejet goes to the bench. Whenever Fabio Alvarez comes on, because Fabio is going to go somewhere. Unless you think that Fabio Alvarez, a guy who Guillermo has said, Can make the great pass from the center, a guy who is, you know, makes that final ball, can sort of play and and, and technical guy. He talks about him playing in the center. There's too many centers here. And so somebody has to move out to the wing. And so is the answer that Chris Pontius plays out there and Legette goes to the bench and Legette comes off the bench and fills in. I mean, that's the next question that you're going to get with Fabio Alvarez. I'm still of the belief that you want to keep Legette on the field because if you look on it, I can, I rank Legette higher than Pontius and I rank, rank him higher than uh, you know Boatang. And if that's the case, then I'd want to keep him on the field. But that's there's no guarantee of that, apparently, according to Guillermo.
2: Yeah, I, I just like the idea of, of, of the continuity of just trying to play the same formation, even if as personnel change, um, rather than saying, oh, we're missing Jonathan. Let's go to a five man back line. And then all of a sudden nothing works. People are out of position and and no one's comfortable. It's it's less
1: I in my mind, it was less that we're missing Jonathan Dos Santos and more that Servando Crossco is going to take over. If it's Perry Kitchen, I don't know the Galaxy switch formations as much, but you also look at who where they're healthy or healthier and that's certainly at defense, and they have a bunch of defenders. So in order to get, you quote-unquote, your best defenders, a five-man back line makes some sense, or a three-man back line makes some sense. Putting Polenta, Gonzalez, and Staras in there isn't a horrible look. It's just asking where you're going to get the creativity and, and creating that offensive side thing, So.
2: And, and you know what? If I had the answer, I would be coaching the Galaxy and yes. not doing this pod or yeah. writing about them or whatever yeah. Um, yeah. that's why he's the coach and and I'm not
1: yeah which is great for us because then basically we get to criticize whatever he does and that's that's how it works no I mean I think we're pretty fair on most of the stuff I think it was a, you know going back and looking at it, I understand what he was doing but going for you know that win midweek against Columbus in my opinion was the mistake i think maybe you write columbus off and you rest guys and you you play them for this new york city match and you're a little bit more rested maybe that gamble cost the la galaxy points on saturday uh when you could have just written off points on wednesday night against columbus and come in on saturday and and done something different so you know that's a that's a hindsight thing though because at the time i was like listen you have a chance for first place in the western conference you have a chance to pick up points when nobody else is playing you better go out and try to win this game
2: well, I see. I agree with you what, what you're saying in hindsight. Because if you go from the weekend game in New York, in, in Harrison, New Jersey, and come home and then play at home at Sub Up Center with the quick turnaround, and one o'clock game, you're giving the guys a week off. They're they're on their regular sort of schedule, not a week off, but a week between games. You're giving them their sort of regular schedule where if you do the squad rotation after Columbus. Then you're forcing people to play two games in four days. They're not used to that. And and maybe that had something to do with Jonathan's injury. So, yeah, I would have rotated. I would agree with you. I would have said, look, if we lose in Columbus, that's far better than having guys like Jonathan, you know, dealing with hamstring problems for the rest of the season. So right. yeah, I would have kept people on their normal schedule Sunday to uh, what is, Sunday to Saturday and then uh, or Saturday to Saturday and and take the midweek game off.
1: Yeah. And by the way, that would have meant that you would have had to throw a whole bunch of players in there that you that you would have looked at the lineup and said, you know, scratched your head. But Bruce Serena used to do that, and I don't think people remember that very often. But every once in a while, the Galaxy would play like a midweek game against Real Salt Lake, and it would be like all the young kids playing, and the galaxy would go out and win the game because they they used to do that. It was just well, one of well those be, you know
2: why they win those games is because those, you know, Bruce was uh, expert at this, and I'm sure Guillermo can do it too. You tell those guys, look, this is your shot. You've been wanting your shot. You're going out there and you're playing 90 minutes. You know this isn't an experiment. We're squad rotating, and you're going to go out and you're going to play the whole game. Show me what you can do. And those guys go out, and they're not thinking about resting for next week. They're not thinking about playing the whole season. They're thinking about 90 minutes, and they go all out. And it's a brilliant strategy. You take some of these kids that have been chomping at the bit and they go crazy. You give them one game a month and they go crazy. It it works. And, I mean, that would have been one way to look at it. But again, you know, I'm not the coach.
1: That's right. You're not the coach. Thank God. We couldn't handle that. <laughs> yeah. Alright. Uh, <laughs>
2: Every Galaxy fan is saying thank God right now. Yeah, let's
1: go over some LA Galaxy news, some alumni news as well. Uh, as we've been talking about, Fabio Alvarez expected to get his paperwork this week. The team is off today on Monday as we're talking, uh, but they are back to training on <laughs> Tuesday. Expecting them to Train Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday game on Sunday, 5 p.m. kickoff time for a Sunday against Colorado Rapids. The winless Colorado Rapids, by the way.
2: Tim Howard, probably his last, well, definitely his last game at at uh, Dignity Health Sports Park.
1: Yep, Connor Casey, Connor Casey, <laughs> Casey. the the Go Galaxy on. killer, now the head coach for uh, the interim head coach for the Colorado Rapids, and they uh, almost they had a much better showing against Real Salt Lake uh, over the weekend. Still lost, however. Um, so that's they're the
2: only only winless team now. Yes, I think they are. I think they are. Um, so it's actually Tim Howard's first and last game at Dignity Health Sports Park because yeah, the last time he played there was the StubHub Center and the first time he played there was the Home Depot Center. Wow. So they're the history of the facility in one man.
1: There you go. Uh, let's see. Jonathan Dos Santos right now again. Uh, the team is off but as we're expecting uh, from everything that Guillermo said and everything that you know we've sort of heard about Jonathan and how it goes is that he was borderline whether or not he was going to play on Saturday and so that seems to line up that he will be available to play against Colorado on Sunday. That is at least the thinking right now, we'll have a Thursday live show to sort of get you ready for that Sunday game and and set that up. But that's the okay. that's the
2: thinking. Let me ask you something. So yes. um, it's a hamstring. We know hamstrings are mm-hmm. something that are going to bother him all season long. Even if he plays every game, it's still going to be there. We saw that what happened with his brother. He hurt his hamstring and it was a two-year ordeal. So... You're looking at Colorado, the only winless team in MLS. A, a game that you would anticipate the Galaxy would be heavily favored in. You have a week to prepare to to get whatever person you, that you want to play that position ready. It looks like you might have Perry Kitchen available a little bit. Fabio Alvarez back. My question is, do you rest, Jonathan? Do you give him another week off, knowing that the team is weaker without him? Maybe you dress him and you put, put him on the you start him on the bench, in in, in case you know break glass of, in case of emergency. But do you try to beat Colorado without him and give him another week off and make sure that he can play the rest of the season without having to deal with his hamstring for games they really need to win?
1: I think if you're the galaxy, I, that's sort of where it goes. The, it's a game that they need to win. And and so I don't think that you play it safe. I think that if there's any doubt in your mind, whether or not Jonathan is, is, you don't need to be a hundred percent, hundred percent's not, you you need to be in a comfort zone where he's like, I'm not going to get injured. I feel fine. It's just more of a fitness issue. Like if he goes through the whole week and trains and there's no issues, then yeah, you start him. Uh, if he doesn't and you sort of baby him and bring him back in sort of slowly making sure everything's okay and you know and he's still not 100 100 percent, maybe you look at possibly dressing him and putting him on the bench maybe you start him and understand that you're going to pull him at 60 minutes that way he doesn't you're going to have to eventually and if perry kitchen is healthy this helps a lot more Um, and maybe Perry kitchen can't go, you know, a a whole 90 minutes or at least 60 minutes. So maybe you have to start Jonathan and then you can bring kitchen in for like the last 30 minutes, that type of thing. If you're in that position, I, I think you have to manage both Zlatan Ibrahimović's minutes eventually and Jonathan Dos Santos's minutes um, this season because Jonathan is running more than anybody on this field and so you're going to see him have the ability to pick up these injuries more than anybody else. He's doing more work than everybody else. So, well, and
2: that's why you don't want this hamstring thing to linger you don't. because remember they just played three games in ten days, had a little bit of time off, three games in eight days and, look, and now they have eight days between games which is great but then look what comes up after that. They play they play Colorado, then they play Friday on Orlando. So you know they're going to leave Wednesday. So yep. it's a short week, not a lot of recovery. Then, so they play uh, Friday again, leaving Wednesday. Then they play the following Wednesday in Sporting at Sporting Kansas City. Yep. Then they come home and play New England at home. Yep. So that's seven, eight, three, another three games in eight days. Then they do get three weeks off for the Gold Cup break, but Jonathan doesn't get that time off because he's going to be playing with Mexico.
1: Yeah, that was sort of the the next thing is that when you look at Jonathan Dos Santos, you know whether or not he's available for the Galaxy this Sunday, it's, it's a little bit of a question mark, but you know he's going to go to Gold Cup too. You need to win some games beforehand. So I think it's a balancing act. I don't have the answer. This is why Guillermo gets paid the big bucks to make this one because this is one of those where you want him back clearly. And even if it's Colorado any team in Major League Soccer can beat any other team, and Colorado is certainly looking for their first win, and coming on the road is, is a place to get do it, especially against the Galaxy, so they'll do it. But Tata Martino is expected to call Jonathan Dos Santos up for the Gold Cup. Uh, Uriel Antuna has also been talked about possibly and looked at for this roster as well, so you know, if you're the Galaxy, you're sort of running out of time in terms of when those guys are going to leave and when your break actually is, and usually they're going to leave before the break. And that includes Sebastian Lejet as well, so the Gold Cup team um, for the U.S. Men's National Team. Lejet's probably on that team so you see that as well. I mean, I think the only bit of good news that the Galaxy got, and it's bad news for Julian Araujo, is that Julian Araujo missed out on the U-20 World Cup team after Tab Ramos says, because of the injury um, you know, that he had, that he wasn't going to call him into the camp, um, and then right after that, you know, Araujo starts, so I don't know how much well, of that yeah, was I, really yeah, I, I think Tab
2: Ramos used that injury as a convenient way to, have, Say, yeah. to make that decision. By the way, in looking at that schedule, something just occurred to me. You were talking about alumni news earlier, oh, so yes. the Galaxy play Colorado, and then they have two off days, and then their last game before the Gold cup is against the new england revolution june 1st guess who the new england coach or at least general manager may very well be by that point
1: oh i know the answer but you can tell everybody
2: bruce arena
1: yeah yeah, that was, and I was looking at the schedule, looking at New England and seeing that and saying Bruce could be back. Uh, Taylor Twelman reporting right now, at least, that uh, Bruce could be named in at least one capacity, if not both capacities, of GM and head coach for the New England Revolution. Mike McGee put out a fun tweet and said, Hey, New England Revolution, hire Bruce Arena as your general manager and hire Pat Noonan as your head coach. Um, which I thought was an interesting little twist on uh, on Noonan and uh, and and Bruce Arena staying there. So we'll see that. Um, what if
2: there was Dave Sarokin getting the band back together again?
1: Man, uh, it, New England can make worse decisions because we've seen them. So this would actually be, in my opinion, you know, getting Bruce back and in, and into Major League
0: Soccer well, is a here's my thing.
2: guess. I, we've heard this before. Apparently, Bruce was in line to go somewhere uh, to, to go to New England earlier, but was only going to be in one of those two jobs. Uh, with the Galaxy, of course, he did both. I think Bruce is going to want to do both because New England is such a mess right now. I, I don't think Bruce wants to coach another man's team, and I don't think Bruce wants to build a team and give it to another coach, unless it would be someone like Pat noonan or or Dave Sarekin, who right. he has a, a you know very tight relationship with, they're very simpatical. you know if failing one of those two options, I think or even Kenny arena, if, if laFC would let him go. Um, failing one of those options, I think Bruce wants to do both jobs because he wants to build the team he wants, and then he wants to coach it. He wants he wants to build the team, and then he has a vision for how that team will play, and then he wants to coach it. So, I, I think the smart money would be say Bruce does both things, and uh, he may be doing both of those things by June first when the revolution come to. Dignity Health Sports Park. Yeah. What a great homecoming that would be.
1: It, w- it would be fun. I was I was looking at that saying, you know, that's, that would be an interesting like, you know, little take on stuff. You talk about storylines. June 2nd, by the way. Sunday, June 2nd, 7.30 p.m. New England Revolution at Dignity Health Sports Park. Um, that's when you can find that one. The other LA Galaxy alumni news, Jossie Zardis. That's right. The LA Galaxy right back. Sometimes he plays Striker. Uh, no, most of the time he plays Striker, who's with Columbus. Just signed a multi-year deal as a designated player with Columbus uh, as a former LA Galaxy alum, a great guy who has talked to both of us many times. Uh, you know, that's that's really good news for Jossie. I'll tell you this, he never gets that deal in Los Angeles. We both know that. So going to Columbus, and this is a complaint I've heard from other players who maybe think they're not getting as much playing time as they want. They said they would like to go to a smaller market because in Los Angeles it's too hard to break into that starting lineup whenever you have all these designated players and that type of thing going, but Jossie already gets, gets a designated player deal with the Columbus crew, a multi year deal to keep him in Columbus, which is uh, pretty, pretty impressive uh, for the former LA Galaxy homegrown player.
2: But you know what, he's earned it. I mean, I don't think anyone begrudges him for nope. this. No, nope. a lot of money for a lot of money for an outside back, though. <laughs> for a right back, yeah. I yeah.
1: all oh, the fun times we've
2: all had. All right, uh, real
1: quickly as we'll uh, wrap up the show here. Uh, if you're looking at the Eastern Conference, the Philadelphia Union. Uh, at 1.92 points per game, and 23 points lead the Eastern Conference. It's LAFC right now in the Western Conference. Uh, Second place LA Galaxy in the Western Conference. Seattle tied with the LA Galaxy at 22 points. Seattle has a higher points per game of two. Houston Dynamo with 19 points has a higher points per game than the LA Galaxy at 2.11. And so as you look at that, that's where it is. Uh, LAFC one, LA Galaxy two, Seattle three, Houston four. So despite the three-game slide, uh, the LA Galaxy's early wins still keeping them very much alive in that Western Conference and still looking okay in that standings, but they need to win some games, and as you pointed out, Kevin, the schedule does not get easier. It gets congested. Uh, it gets difficult, and the Galaxy are going to need to pull that out, and so hopefully they get a little bit more healthy and they're able to do that. Uh, if you look at the Supporter Shield standings right now, the LA Galaxy dropped from second to fourth right now with both Philadelphia Union and DC United climbing into the second and third positions over the LA Galaxy. LAFC sits on top of the entire league 27 points right now um, i think
2: if the galaxy go into the gold cup break in the top three or four in the conference i think that would be a really good result for them i know that would mean dropping from where they are now i think they're kind of lucky having lost three in a row to still be in second and they do have some, a tough schedule coming up but remember seven teams go to the playoffs this year and and this team if they get allison dreamy back any team with Zlatan can beat any team any other team on any given day it really truly is, and I think Guillermo said this their goal is to get to the playoffs. Zalatan wants to win the supporter shield, but the team goal is to get to the playoffs. And once you get there with Zalatan, yeah, um, it, you know, all bets are off. And so if they're in the top three or four going to the Gold Cup break, that would be a really good position for them to be in at that point.
1: Yeah, I think I think what we've learned so far from the LA Galaxy is uh, they aren't they weren't as good as uh, I think sort of that everybody thought they were. But they're also not as bad as a three game losing streak. I, I really think the schedule has more to do. The schedule and injuries really sort of forcing the LA Galaxy's hand. That schedule was tough. If you look at the games that they lost, these three games, they were the three tough games. Um. Playing Colorado should be a win. You know, going to Orlando should be a reasonable chance at a win. It's a long way to go. Everybody knows that. It's a short week. Everybody knows that. Uh, But Orlando is no giant. Um, down there. Um, so, you know, really the you know Galaxy...
2: goalkeeper is, right? Yeah. That, that, who's their goalkeeper? Which
1: one? Brian Rowe. Oh, he's not a giant. No, no. I was going to say... But I-,
2: I mean, I'm just Alumni News. Yes, uh,
1: Alumni uh, News. Yes, yes. Brian Rowe back there. Um, but, you know, that... Even sporting Kansas City right now with all the injuries they've had, had it, it's still a short amount of time for them to sort of recover that form um, that they have sorely been lacking and um, things. So I, I think the Galaxy, you know, are okay. If you look even at the New England, t- regardless if Bruce Arena is there or not, um, you have to say that, that that should be a win at home for the LA Galaxy. Going away to Cincinnati, um, you know, is a good chance of a win. Going away to the San Jose Earthquakes the end of June. I mean, all these things that you're looking at, you're saying, okay, the tough games they just played were tough games. Um, there were some good teams in there, but the Galaxy of Beat teams that were better than these tough games, so the schedule clearly had a had an effect on it. If the Galaxy can get some healthy bodies, they get Perry Kitchen back, they get Favio Alvarez in there, you let, let the LA Galaxy also have a summer transfer window, which I still think could they could be active in the summer transfer window, so we could watch that as well. Um, you know, all of these things being said, the Galaxy feel like a top four team, top five team in the West, and, you know, if they're in the upper end of that, Kevin, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised if they're in the fi- in that five hole as well but i think this galaxy team is a much better team and the defense is so much better than last year people can complain all they want about the eight goals that they gave up but i stand by it this galaxy defense is better than it was last year is better than the year before they have pieces there they put them together in the right way and the right things happen in the la galaxy i think will be a, a, a upper level western conference team um, and that being said you know are are easy locks for for you know the playoffs they should be um, but you got to you got to snap out of this slide
2: How many teams in the Western Conference?
1: There are exactly 12 teams in the Western Conference.
2: It is just absolutely ridiculous that we play a whole season to eliminate eliminate five of them. When, in fact, two of them are already eliminated. Colorado and and San Jose are not going to the playoffs, and I don't think Vancouver is going to make a push for the playoffs either. So we're basically playing the rest of the season to eliminate, what, three teams, two teams.
1: uh, Well, I mean, currently there are... Uh, let's see San Jose has 11 points Portland has 10 points you know Portland's been on the road Portland's gonna yeah.
2: be yeah Portland's gonna be in the playoffs well
1: I would expect them to get better Sporting Kansas City yeah. is the surprise that's down there though Kevin I mean in 11th place get better too. they should and they should be a playoff team I still don't believe that they're in 11th place but you know these bad starts are gonna have an effect on on some of these teams I think Portland's bad start is gonna have an effect on it the Galaxy would yeah, just but they
2: got like 117 games at home starting in, they, in June
1: they do you would expect that that would work for them but if it doesn't work for them right if they can't get on. I mean, they haven't been playing well. So even if they're on the road, they haven't been playing well. Although winning on the road is hard, we've we've said that a million times. All right, we backed up into a bunch of different things. Uh, the Galaxy will face off against the Colorado Rapids on Sunday, May nineteenth, a five p.m. Pacific time kickoff. Uh, this game on Spectrum Sportsnet, Dignity Hell Sports Park is where you're going to find it, and of course we're going to have a live show on Thursday to get you ready for that. Is there anything else, Kevin, that you wanted to touch on that we haven't? Yeah, there's on? a
2: lot of stuff, but we're out of time.
1: Yeah, I was going to say one of the other things that we can sort of hint at, or at least tell you about, and then we can talk about it later if that happens. Rolf Felcher made the forty-man raw. Roster for Venezuela. Um, that's the 40 man roster, not the, I think, 28 man or whatever it ends up being, uh, 23 man roster that eventually goes to uh, any of their tournaments. But Ralph Felcher is on the uh, docket there for Venezuela as we go. All
2: right. Hey, you know, and if, if Giancarlo uh, Gonzalez does replace Steris and then we have Araujo and Felcher, the whole back line is going to speak Spanish. Yes, I wonder how Dave Bingham's going to get along with that. Well, I mean, you
1: look at you look at the predominance of Spanish speakers that are in the starting lineup now. I think that um, already that team is a Spanish speaking team on the field. Um, yeah. So I,
2: I think, and, and in the coaching box
1: too. And yeah, exactly, in the coaching staff as well. Which is which is I think uh, let's just say I know that there are players who are actively trying to brush up on their Espanol. Yeah. Um, as am oh. I, uh, as a, as I go, because I'm I'm a horrible. I can understand some things, but I certainly can't speak anything. But I'm doing my best to try to try to figure out some of the stuff. And uh,
2: uh, some big corner of the galaxy news. Yes. Larry Morgan's getting a Twitter account.
1: No, he's not. No, no he's, he's not. He's I refuse. Not. I, just to I refuse to allow that. We've talked about it on the last show, and I said that would ruin everything um he's not no no twitter accounts for larry morgan he keeps thinking that maybe he's going to start if he starts one i'll figure out a way into it and delete it it's not going to happen. maybe
2: he should start a spanish twitter account
1: that that i want to see that, that is, would be awesome that would be perfect all right uh anything else kevin you good yeah, I think so. All right. Uh, if you're looking for Mr. Kevin Baxter, of course, head on over to latimes.com or follow him at Twitter at kbaxter11. Uh, LA Times covering U.S. men's U S. men's national team, U.S. women's national team, and the Women's World Cup coming up. Uh, I believe we might even fit Kevin into a Champions League final coming up. Uh, so make sure you follow Kevin right there. He covers soccer in Southern California and around the world for the LA Times. Uh, if you're looking for me on Twitter at jgessman, J-G-U-E-S-M-A-N, and, of course, at Podcast. Head on over to corner the for all of our podcasts, videos, articles, all that stuff. It's right there, corner of the galaxy.com. All right. That does it, the LA Galaxy, playing against Colorado coming up on Sunday. We'll have a live show on Thursday to get you ready for that game with Eric the Portuguese Hammers. So lots of fun still to be had this week, right here on Corner of the Galaxy for Mr. Kevin Baxter. I'm Josh Gassman. You've been listening to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on corner of the Have a great
0: one, everybody. You've been listening to the Corner of the Galaxy From the Box podcast on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Galaxy Podcast, and be sure to check out and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. And for all of your independent LA Galaxy news, discussion, and entertainment, including this podcast, head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com. Fans, thanks for listening. We ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again. Until then, I'm Michael Araujo. And on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, goodbye, everybody.